Genesis 27. If you remember at the end of Genesis 26, we talked a lot about the life of Jacob and Esau and these two brothers, the comparing and contrasting of the flesh and the spirit. Each of us have this war going on inside of us, the flesh, the older brother, so to speak, the part that we've always known since we've been born, the way it's always been. And then we have something called the spirit, the spirit of God. When we've received Christ our Savior, the spirit of God comes inside of us and we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now we have this war between the flesh and the spirit until when we die, those two are separated finally. The flesh is done away with and the spirit will have a new body and we will be together with the Lord. That is, that is our hope. That is what we wait for. Matt 2.0, you know, not endlessly operating in this situation. And so we have this picture of the flesh and the spirit, and, and that is personified, it is illustrated in the lives of people in the Old Testament. We saw that with Ishmael. Ishmael was a type of the flesh, and Isaac was a type of the spirit. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and, and basically they were, they were twins, and there was this war going on in Rebekah's womb, and she was going, what's going on, Lord? What's, this, what's going on in here? It's, and the Lord came to her and said, hey, you've got two nations within you. And we know that Rebecca is a type of the church. And so as you're looking at the church, I'm the church, you're the church. We have two nations inside of us, the flesh and the spirit, that war against one another constantly. And the hope and the desire as Christians is that we yield to the spirit of God. That is what the Lord has for us, not the... Not the uh, Esau, but the Isaac, uh, but the Jacob with, uh, within us, so to speak. Now, Jacob, obviously, the picture, the illustrations fall apart because they're both kind of, they've got problems, as we'll see here. But uh, at the end of Genesis chapter 26, it says, that when Esau was 40 years old, it says, he married Judith the daughter of Biri the Hittite, and also Basimeth, daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. We'll come back to that. But he went ahead and said, Mom, Dad, you know, you guys drive me nuts. I'm going to go ahead and do this in spite of you. I'm going to go marry the people you don't want me to marry. And so he married Canaanite women, and that's just a picture of the flesh. And, and, and we'll come back and pick that up in a few minutes. But it says, uh, actually probably next week, but number Verse 20, chapter 27, verse 1 says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, Hey, my son, here I am, he answered. And Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me that kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I might give you a blessing before I die. And so Isaac, is, he's old and he feels that he doesn't know when he's going he's gonna to move on. And he says, you know, he just, he desires to pass on this blessing to his son, uh, Esau. And we'll speak more of what that blessing means in a bit, but generally it had two major parts given by the patriarch, a proclamation meaning uh, who they were, speaking about who they were, and secondly, uh, where they were going. Who they were, where they were going. And this is all in a spiritual sense as well. And it's interesting that Isaac uh, most likely knew from the word of the Lord, from that prophecy that was given over his son, that Isaac, 
that, I mean, that Jacob, the younger, was actually the one who was going to receive the blessing, not Esau, who was the firstborn of the two twins. And so he's kind of going against what God had already kind of said here. So he's wanting to, he's playing favorites with his son, and he wants his son, Esau, the hunter, the guy from Walla Walla out in the mountains, you know, big hairy guy, to get the blessing. That's what he wants. And so verse 5 says, Now Rebekah, Isaac's wife, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Mind you, Esau and Isaac, they're like 77 years old now, okay? So when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say that your brother Esau, that to your brother Esau, bring me some game, prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. And now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father and eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Rebecca, she's a pretty interesting person, isn't she? Kind of a sparky type person. You wonder where Jacob gets it here in a little bit. But a couple of things here. The first is that we see Jacob's life, as we see his life play out, we see that he is quite a deceiver. He is quite a deceptive type person, conniving, supplanter, he's called. And he took after his mom in this manner. And, you know, parents, grandparents, you have a great opportunity to disciple your children in the ways of the Lord. You also have to recognize that uh, your default will automatically be taught. And so hang in there with the Lord. Secondly, Rebecca, no doubt, she also knew God's will. He was told to her that, hey, Jacob is going to be the one who receives the blessing, not Esau. He's the one who's going to be uh, ruling over. And, this, and she knew God's word in this manner. She knows God's word as she overhears what's going on. And now she's decided to do something we all love to do is to help God out. Anyone want to help God out? I want to help God out. I love it. God, I, I know your, your word. I know what you say. How many of you know his word? You know? I'm mean, saying you know his word. You know his will. You know the work he wants to do. Anyone? But we don't do it in God's way. We want to do it in our way. Help God out. Make the circumstances such to where his will comes about. It happens so subtly if we're not in tune with the Lord. Knowing God's word, yeah, we're in his word. Knowing his will, what, what, he, what we're supposed to be doing, and then, okay, we're going to go ahead and manufacture a plan on how to make that happen. Not doing it God's way. God's work, brothers and sisters, has to be done in his way, in his power. And it's not always the way that we would like to have it all figured out. You remember Moses? You guys, remember Moses when he was, he, was, he was young, he was raised in Egypt for 40 years. He's 40 years old and he stands there and he looks at the oppression that's happening to his people, the, Egypt, the, uh, the Hebrews. He's been raised under the house of Pharaoh in Egypt, but now he, real, he realizes he is a, of the Hebrews and he's looking at these people who are being horribly treated. Horribly treated. He looks at them and says, man, this is awful. 
I've got to do something about it. And he had this sense, this knowledge that he knew that he was supposed to help deliver them with his position, his authority, his power that he had there as in second command of all of Egypt, pretty much. And so he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew and he decides to step in. And when no one's looking, he goes and he kills this Egyptian, buries him in the sand. This is what Moses did. He kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand, thinking that no one saw him. And he was also thinking that the people would understand that God brought him to deliver them. Now, did God call Moses to deliver the people of God? Yes, he did. Did God call him to go out and kill the Egyptian? Sorry, I'm not telling you to go away as a fly. No, he didn't. He decided to help God out. And this is the thing. Whenever we decide to help God out, there are always casualties. Always casualties. Always casualties. Moses had to leave Egypt, spend the next 40 years in the wilderness until finally he was at the place where there was no more, Moses, let me help God out. And God was able to say, okay, now you come. And even then he had to have Aaron help him because he was so not trusting in himself. But he also wasn't trusting in the Lord there too either. Think about David, who desired to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the city after the Philistines had taken it. Remember that? And so he decides, he gets this planning committee and they they have this great idea. 20,000 people gathered together. 20,000 people, that rocks. This parade, six miles long, because the ark was around six miles away, to bring it back. They're going to have celebration and doing all this stuff on the way. And they, they, they built this cart. And they put the ark on the cart. And they're going to bring the cart back. And they had this cool. They had two guys on that cart. One guy's name on top of the cart, leading the cart, was Uzzah. And it means strong. So you got Mr. Strong up there. And then you have the guy in front kind of leading the way, waving to everybody. Uh, what was his name? It was uh, Ahu- Ahua. And his name basically means friendly. See, I've got Mr. Strong leading the, on the cart, driving things around. you got Mr. Friendly in front saying hello to everybody. I mean, 20,000 people. We're going to bring it back. We're going to have a party. This is going to be awesome. Because surely what blessings for the ark of the covenant with, with where the glory of God rested in the presence. And we got the, the Ten Commandments and, and Aaron's uh, staff that had budded and the manna was in there and just all this rich heritage. It's going to be a blessing to have it in the city, the central of the people. We can come together and worship God. It's going to be awesome. Let's do it. And so many of you guys know the story. We see what happens as they're bringing it back, having the party, and all of a sudden the cart hits a rut and Mr. Strong leans back to make the cart steady. He reaches back, touches the ark, and God kills him. Boom. How about raining on your parade? I mean, just, oh, man, everybody's just bummed. And so they decided to leave it, the ark there, I think at Obed-Eben's house. I can't remember whose house they left it at. But David went back, and he was just, he was upset, freaking out. He spent some time just sulking and upset. And then he finally listens, and he gets under the word of God, and he finds out, he remembers that the ark is not to be carried on a cart. It's to be carried on a pole. And it's supposed to be on the priest's back. 
not me, the priests, back. Priests, people who pray, people who worship, people who revere God in their walk, in their hearts. Now, how inconvenient is that? Very inconvenient. And so what they did is they got those priests and they put the poles in and they carried it and they walked six steps and they stopped and they sacrificed the bull and they would off, built an altar and they offered you know, worship and thanks and praise to God and then they would move another six steps and another six steps and then another six steps all the way back six miles. How many bulls, how much sacrifice, how much time that took you know, there's a difference between effectiveness and efficiency. We desire efficiency, don't we, in this culture? We desire to be efficient. And I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with that. I want things to be efficient. But seldom do those two run together, efficient, it's efficiency and effectiveness in the kingdom of God. You know, why, why six steps? Six steps is the number of man, the number of flesh in the Bible. Realizing, taking six steps and going, you know what, I'm not going to continue on in the flesh. I'm going to stop. And I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to worship. I'm going to seek. I'm going to praise before I go on with this plan of mine. And I'm going to get his guidance, and I'm going to get his heart. I'm going to find out what he wants to have happen, how he wants the parade to go. Did those people who organized that whole thing have good intentions? They absolutely had good intentions, but they neglected that it is God's plan that they were supposed to fulfill. It was his holiness that they were messing with. And we, in the same way, can come into danger when we decide, oh, look, here's how you do church. Here's how you do this. Here's how I do that. And this is how I'm going to organize my life. And, blah, 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 and God bless it. There are always casualties when we go and we help God out. We see a circumstance that needs God to intervene. And so we start thinking in our natural gifting, our natural inclinations, our, we're working in our strengths. And we're going to all come together and make it happen. Instead of falling flat on the, Lord, the ground and calling a prayer meeting, and stopping what we're doing, and saying, Lord God, will you help us? Lord God, meet us here. We cannot do it in our own strength. We are weak. Lord, be God. People are desiring not to see the mundane. They're desiring to see God work. And they're desiring to see it like he did through Artie. That is not convenient, that is not efficient in his life, but it is effective. That woman is going to walk away with that change. How in the world could God be there at that moment when the people, she just went to this church and they're going through the same exact thing, same situation, and they were able to comfort her through the same thing they were going through and that the joy was able to translate. Yes, pain was happening. That is God, my friends. That is the Lord. But I don't want to stop and sacrifice the bull. I don't want to stop and do these things. And we look at Rebecca here. I'm going to help God out. Well, I know the blessing is supposed to go to Esau. 
but I'm going to manipulate circumstances so he gets the blessing. There are always casualties, as we will see. There are always casualties. Life of Moses and the life of David in our lives. And here, in, as we'll see with Rebecca. And so, Jacob, <clears throat> you have to deceive your father for the blessing. And Jacob is going to learn you don't have to deceive. You don't have to manipulate circumstances to receive the blessing of God. You have to ask. You ask. We don't earn salvation. We ask, and it is given to us. We don't earn anything. We ask. And he is the God who gives, who has done the work for us. He provides, and we walk in it. And so Rebecca, she knew, but she deceived, decided to help God out in her own strength. And in verse 11, it says, Jacob said to Rebecca's mother, you know, hey, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. I have smooth skin, mom. Again, Esau is a rugged mountain man from Walla Walla, and, you know, Jacob is not. Just put it that way. He likes to bake soup and things like that, which is cool. Mom, this isn't going to work. Verse 12, what if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Hey, we're going for a blessing here, right, Mom? Well, if we go to deceive and it doesn't work out, I would appear to be tricking him and receive to be receive a curse. Oh, gosh. Isn't this the typical mentality of, of, of many in our culture today, including, you know, us? Uh, if I do this, then I will appear to be a deceiver. No, no, you are a deceiver, buddy. That's what's going to happen. Appearance versus reality. It's not who I really am, but what people think of me is what is most important to many people. It's not who I am in my heart of hearts. It's what you perceive I am. It's all about appearance. It's all about perception. It's all about, you know, controlling thought and flow information, doing things in such a way so things are presented so people think something instead of who you truly are, what the focus groups think, what the demographic will think, positioning and posturing. We see it all through the political spectrum. We see it through uh, our media outlets with uh, reality TV and all the things that are going on. We see it in the lives, duplicated in the lives of our kids. All about the superficial instead of the character. Jacob is concerned with his reputation, what people think I am instead of who he really is. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. You know, character is what I know I am. Reputation is what people think I am. Character is what I know I am. So well, how do you know who you are? Well, what do you do when you're by yourself? You know, how do you react in certain hard situations? Do you do selfless things or do you do it so that you can do it in a way to get praise and glory for yourself jacob is concerned with appearance if i do this i'm going to be appear to be tricking him no you won't appear to be tricking me you actually will be tricking him you are a deceiver you're a supplanter you're a heel catcher that's who you are jacob but guess what god has the final say in that one verse 13 his mother said to him my son let the curse fall upon me just do what I say. Go and get them. 
And so he went and he got them and he brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Verse 15, then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and she put them on her younger son Jacob. Rebekah knew that Esau was an outdoors guy. He smelled like deer scent and things. Put on his clothes. You, you smell too nice. Get rid of the foo-foo. Go rub around the ground. Go, you know. Don't take a bath for a week. Do, do what you need to do to smell like your brother. So he has the meat and he has the scent. But he's smooth, sin, uh, smooth skinned. He's like a grape. So Rebecca has thought of that too. Verse 16, she covered his hands in the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. My gosh, how hairy was Esau. Verse 17, and then she had, handed, uh, handed her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. She went to, And he went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Hey, who is this? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? How did you find this so quickly? And so Isaac, who can't see anything, he's sensing some, some things are off here. He's, he's, he's picking up some discernment here. How did you get here so quickly? And so Jacob, he gives the glory to God here in verse 20. The Lord your God gave me success. What a booger. And he replied, then Isaac said, I'm sorry, he replied, then Isaac said to Jacob, come here so I can touch you, my son to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. And so he proceeded to bless him. Isaac thought something wasn't right. He had a suspicion. But check this out, church. His senses failed him. His senses failed him. He smelled like Esau. He touched and he felt like Esau. He had the soup that tasted like the soup that Esau made. He must be Esau. His senses failed him. He, he didn't see. His eyes, he couldn't see. His smell led him astray. What he felt did not, uh, uh, what he felt was not true. And the only thing that did not betray him was the word that he heard. Was the word that he heard. The voice, it sounds like Jacob's voice. That's Jacob speaking. But he did not go by the word that he heard. He went by what he felt, what he smelled, what he touched. Because he went by that, he was deceived. He did not recognize him. He did not discern that this was indeed Jacob, not Esau. He was tricked. And the same thing can happen to us, to me and to you, to go off of feelings instead of what God says. Instead of to go off the, of the word, we go by how we feel about something. Oh, this must be God. This has to be God working. Feels so right. Really, show me the word. What does it say? Show me the word. What does it say? Because if it doesn't say it, that's not the Lord. 
His smell led him astray. He was led astray. He went by his feelings. Man, this feels like God. This has to be God. Surely it's him. We have to continue to resist what we sense and learn to spiritually discern things. Spiritual discernment. How do we become spiritually discerning? By chewing on the word of God. It is the milk which leads to the meat. And Hebrews says in verse chapter 5, verse 40, it says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Discernment comes by being in the word, letting it saturate your heart and your mind and your soul day after day, night after night, in the morning and the evening, you're just, you're, you're, you're consuming it. And as you do, you begin to see things God's ways and you're able to resist the powerful pull of senses upon you that say, go this way or go that way. Jesus, when he was tempted, he was hungry. Anybody hungry? And you have the power to take stones and make them into bread. Just do it. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And as Christians, as the church, we become ineffective. We are, our light darkens. The more that we operate in the flesh according to our senses and not according to the Spirit of God. And that is the picture that is being drawn here. Our senses deceive. The Word of God illuminates. And so let me ask you, if the Word of God illuminates if it leads and guides, like David said, it's a light into my path. Uh, you know, uh, what is that verse? Uh, yeah, the word of God is uh, light into my path. Basically, it just illuminates my way. If, if it's that important in the life of the believer, what do you think the enemy is going to be attacking? What do you think he's going to be removing from your life? What do you think he's going to be placing instead? Things that feel good, smell like it, taste like it, but it's not the real thing. And that is how he works, and that is how he suckers us into ineffective spiritual life. And that is why I say, crack open the Bible. Let's not read things solely about the Bible. Let's open the Word and get into the Word and see what it says to me. Now, I love commentators, and I love books, and I love all these things, but you yourself, me, we have to be able to open it up and dig in. For your sake, you have to go digging in that well. The enemy's going to constantly want to fill it back in. Blow off the dust. Get back into the Word. Let it get into you. And you will have discernment. You'll have the mind of Christ, and the Holy Spirit will be able to illuminate these things in your life. And so let's close it. Verse 24, Are you really my son, Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. And he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. And Jacob brought it to him and he ate. And he brought some wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like a, the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. Verse 29, May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And after Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. And he too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And his father Isaac asked him, Hey, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came in, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. He caught on. When Isaac heard his father's word, I'm sorry, when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob, which is supplanter? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. That's not necessarily true. The first time he sold his birthright. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all, made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And then Esau wept aloud. We'll pick up more on that next week. And we'll finish the next chapter. Or not next week, the next week after. But how Esau desired that blessing. And let me say this to you parents, you grandparents. Esau, he totally dismissed. He dismissed the birthright, which was that uh, double portion of inheritance and that position of taking over the, the hierarchy of the, I mean, the patriarch of the family. He dismissed it. He sold it for a bowl of beans. He didn't care about that. But what he really wanted, what he really desired from his father was the blessing. He needed to know who he was and he needed to know where he was going. And we have a nation full of kids, full of grandkids. They don't know who they are and they don't know where they are going. And so we'll pick up on that next week.